Hey, welcome to the 165th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Pablo Gallo and Paul Kim. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlo. Today, it's just Matt and me on the podcast. It's been a while since we've caught up, and we haven't done this type of recording in a really long time where you're actually at my house recording. Yeah. Whenever it's just you and me, it's usually remote. We're like, oh, we're going to save ourselves a commute. And I will say that since you got to my house, I feel like you seem like you're in a worse mood <laughs> than when you got here. Well, I'm not in a bad mood. But I did shoot all day, and I do have to shoot tomorrow. Get to sh- I get to shoot tomorrow. <laughs> right. You, and not it's not just that. It's that you wrapped a show today, a series today. Yeah, you wrapped a series. That today. already has a trailer out. That is true. And you're starting a new series tomorrow. Yeah. And somehow you're Living still life. finding a way to be bummed. <laughs> Sounds like a very Oren thing. <laughs> I'm yeah. not bummed. I'm not bummed. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm not bummed. I'm just a little tired. A little tired. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it, it might have something to do with the fact that you quit drinking beer. Oh, man. That you just seem sadder. Or, and I hate to bring it to you. Are you ready for this? You're back on the beer train? No, worse. You are quit You quit wine? I'm uh, I'm in the middle. I'm on day one of a 21-day cleanse. That's like vegan, gluten-free. No, come on. Dairy? No, dairy. Yeah, vegan. Yeah. Oh, right. No uh, butter, no. No, yeah, no gluten. You can eat no, cooked food, right? It's no not processed raw. sugars. You can eat cooked food, yeah, but it's Wait, like pretty hard to... Coffee? So, according to this cleanse, you're not supposed to have caffeine. It's, so, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's actually very tricky to eat any sort of restrictive diet on set. Two shoots ago I was on, I worked at like the most progressive like p- company ever. Like, There's a vegan, there's a paleo person, there's a, and I told them, like, uh, can I just have like something with no pork? And they got me like a pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> so, I get it. Being having like and that's my pretty much my only restriction and so having all those other restrictions it's like you just got to bring your own food yeah yeah totally you just kind of like you're just a tupperware person or you got to realize that life is short and you should just have a good time that that is true uh that's what i do the rest of the year and so i don't know you're always on something no man (laughs) i saw this quote my wife's grandmother posted it on facebook about how life is short and you should have a good time and stuff Mm -hmm. and it was it was this long very kind of well-written speech and it was attributed to keanu reeves (laughs) and so of course i like immediately (laughs) snopesed it and it was like absolutely not (laughs) and i realized there's this whole genre of like social media memes and Mm -hmm. they're not memes but like Like viral posts quotes that are attributed to keanu reeves and he is like an inspirational person, but most of the things you see on Facebook that he said are not things that he said. That's excellent. I'm so happy about that. Yeah. John Wick 3. Well, we can have a conversation about it once you see it. Um, did you see the end of Game of Thrones? I did. I and did. on a rate, score of 1 to 10 of how satisfied you were. I would say I'm at, at a 6 in terms yeah. of satisfied. Yeah, that's about right. Do you think um, as a filmmaker... How important is it to have watched Game of Thrones? We have a real topic for the show, everyone, so don't worry. As a filmmaker, I think it is uh, not important. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, a good show, but I think, like, you know, I haven't seen all of The Sopranos. Right. And I think the argument is totally valid that, like, you should have seen all of The Sopranos. It's one of the very best television shows of all time. But here's the big caveat. I don't watch sports. I don't care about sports. And Game of Thrones is one of the few water-cooler shows that we had as a culture that you could kind of just connect with people on on a on a really superficial but valuable sort of level so it was just nice to have some chit chat with people because i couldn't be like well did you see the game last night because i don't i didn't right 
I guess I mostly disagree. Well, first of all, I think if you're pitching TV drama, you should know what the like most pivotal shows are. You should be conversant in television if you want to make television. Right. Yeah. Um, I told you I used to have this internship at Village Roadshow Pictures where they give you a list of movies and they said, you know, you should see these movies if you want to work in Hollywood because you might be sure. in a pitch meeting and they'll be like, oh, it's kind of like the villain from Heat, right? Or it's like, you know, Kevin Spacey in Seven or whatever. And if you haven't seen those movies, you're like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Game of Thrones is one of those shows now. And I'm only bringing this up because, well, first of all, in my Airbnb, we have a filmmaker. He's here to check out AFI to see if he wants to go there. He Ooh. just graduated from, graduated from NYU. Congratulations. Um, and I asked him if he saw Game of Thrones last night. And he said, no, no, I don't watch that show. So I thought that was kind of weird. And then um, I'm working on kind of coming up with some show pitches with my mm-hmm. one of my writing partners, Julie. And we're doing kind of drama, like a YA, like a 13 Reasons Why type of genre, you know, kind of like teen, sure. like edgy teen drama stuff. And I feel like ever since Game of Thrones came out, like the envelope, they pushed the envelope so far that like just having one character die in a season or something is like, it could be shocking and it could be interesting. It could be really good, but it's not like a big deal like it used to be because of Game of Thrones, I think changed how we watch TV and what expectations are and what the limits sure, are. Sure. But I mean, you know, I guess it is important to watch as much as you can and to absorb as much art as you can, both TV and film, but also everything else, right? You should be reading, you should be reading comic books, should be going to museums, all of that stuff. And also... Okay, okay, I guess you're right. We don't have to do all that stuff. <laughs> but the flip side is um, you will have not ever seen enough. There will always be a meeting where someone is going to bring up that scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and you'll be like, oh, I missed that one, even though you've seen every other Spielberg movie. I think that there is far too much prestige TV on right now for any one person to be caught up with all of it. And I could say, like, have you seen all of Breaking Bad? Have you seen all of The Sopranos? Have you seen all of The Wire? Have you seen all of Lost? Have you seen all of Seinfeld? Have you seen all of I Love Lucy? Have you seen all of Cheers? You know, you can keep going. And I've only named literally the very best television shows of all time just off the top of my head and could keep going for 200 more shows. You haven't seen all of them. Yeah. Well, I think it's even way more excusable to say that you haven't watched any of the Marvel movies. But Game of Thrones, I don't know. There's something about it that is like, I feel like changed, like it's been on for 10 years and there's no show that's like ready to replace it. But I guess that's what I'm saying is like, just because something is like super popular, um, it is a good enough reason to watch it if you want to work in TV and film. I think that is true. I think that is true. You have to be familiar. You don't have to absorb everything, but yeah, you can't not know anything about especially if you're pitching in that sort of realm or if you're pitching at that network, you know, right? any of the seven realms, <sighs> six, I heard, um, <laughs> anyway, Oren. Yes. We've been a little off topic, but we've got a lot to catch up on. I really and genuinely would like to know what have you been working on lately? Well, so I, well, so I did a bunch of commercials at the beginning of the year and then I finally kind of finished them. I was, up for a bunch that I didn't get any of them. And so, and I was kind of relieved. And I said to, you know, my friend, Julie, who I wrote, used to write with a lot and I haven't written with for a while. I said, let's 
sit back down Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Ooh, boy, office hours. Yeah, we That's are cool. going to write. Of course, I'm already like tomorrow messing <laughs> messing it up. But uh, I told her, like, you got to, like, unless we have a schedule, like, we're just going to start just falling off again. Yeah. And basically, we just want to, I, I mean, this is, sounds silly, but we just want to sell a TV show. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. And I met with my manager also. I told him the same thing. And we don't have like the show that we're selling, but we're going a little broader. There's kind of three types of shows that we're both really into. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of a new development, but I'm newly much more interested in like kids programming than I ever was before. Sure. Because sure. I spend a lot of time watching it because I have a kid now. And I think there's only a real small handful of shows that are like really entertaining for parents and mm-hmm. young kids at the same time. I think there's sure. room for that. Yeah. Um, and then the young adult kind of area is, some, is a, a space that Julie and I have worked on mm-hmm. in the past. When we were at Disney, we did two seasons of a vampire show. We did like mm-hmm. this high school dramedy. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's easy for us to pitch ourselves in that world. And then sure. like doing like a more like CW version mm-hmm. of True Blood or Game of Thrones or um, any of those kind of like fantasy adventure stories, I think sure. is exciting for both of us. Yeah, uh, sounds fun. And then like one more like adult, like sci-fi. So the last show that we, the closest thing we've ever come to selling was like a sci-fi time travel show. We agreed no more time travel because it's just like so it's a pain. Yeah. hard. Yeah. But, uh, but so then our third show will be like more of like an adult, um, like sci-fi show. It can, might even kind of be a little dystopian, like in the Handmaid's Tale type mm-hmm. of genre. So we're cool. kind of just like studying up on it. We're pitching a bunch of ideas. We're developing stuff. We're kind of letting ourselves go with whatever is interesting and taking notes and chase the muse man yeah kind of spending like a month of pre-development development sure so, yeah i call it filling the well sometimes oh i like that yeah i've never heard know. that term i think that's maybe a darren aronofsky term hmm. i don't know but yeah chrissy and i will say that my wife and i will say that to each other all the time like sometimes you have to just like go to a museum or like take a walk or watch a tv show or something one of the things we're doing that is helping us like not fill the well with too much junk is our number one rule is if you have an idea like think long and hard about whether the other person would be into that idea Mm -hmm. because uh like there's a couple ideas she's really excited about that i have like yeah nothing to add to and then there's some ideas that i'm really excited about like i had like a video game pitch that she's not interested in at all she had like a christmas movie pitch that i'm not interested in really at all and so we're really just like finding the things where are we can both get super passionate mm-hmm. about them. Yeah. And do you think that that is because it's valuable to have the accountability basically? Yeah. I can't get anything done without the accountability. Yeah. But so that brings me to the next kind of interesting thing that happened. And so I was offered a feature to direct. Whoa. Um, Live but, on the mic, you guys. Yeah. Uh, some caveats of course sure offered straight up offered pretty much yeah yeah the financier which is like a company that finances a ton of movies like this Uh uh-huh the company that finances is financing the movie needs to approve me Mm -hmm. but the producers are like 95 percent sure that that they'll be for it they will approve me yeah so it's actually a movie that was offered to our friend mitch oh wow and mitch was maybe going to do it, but then it didn't work out with his schedule. And he recommended me. And then 
Oh, so good. the producer, Joe McAleer, also said you should talk to Oren. Good, good, good. So it's modified low budget, which mm-hmm. means it's under under 700, over 250. And it's a thriller about a, it's like a creature feature. Mm-hmm. It was pitched to me as like a, like a monster movie with heart. And a, yeah. there's like the lead, it's kind of two female leads, like two sisters. And so I read the script yesterday. They wanted to potentially shoot in at the end of June, which is next month. Uh, yeah, that's pretty soon. Yeah, the other window was to shoot in October, and so in the windows are because of talent availability or people attached already. No, so there's no one attached, which is interesting and like very rare. Mm-hmm. Usually, you attach someone and then the money yeah. goes through. Um, but because they want to shoot in Puerto Rico. And it's oh, hurricane season between July and October or something like that, huh. or September. Um, so they can either shoot before mm-hmm. before the end of July or after September. <laughs> Dude, that's wild. Yeah, or after August. I, I don't know. Don't don't sure <laughs> take anything I say like too literally. And there's a lot of tax credits, but they had already applied for the tax credits that would expire this summer, and they want to take the movie to AFM in November. So yeah, so pretty fast. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, fast. they're fine with taking like raw footage or some mm-hmm. trailer stuff, but, but yeah, so I read it and you know, I had notes. Sure. Yeah. Like some big notes, um, about the kind of tonality of the characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's like, I guess I'm curious what you would do in this situation. This is why I want to talk about it on the podcast because mm-hmm. For me, like as a director, there's not a lot of money. It'd probably be like on par with like one commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but maybe two, maybe. But like a, at least six months of your life, realistically. Well, probably more. No, because it's it's not a TV movie, but it's kind of scheduled like one. Uh-huh. It would be like three weeks of prep, three weeks of shooting, and then probably like six weeks of post or something. Mm-hmm. So you heard it here, everyone. Oren thinks that that's how few <laughs> weeks you're actually going to work. I guarantee. I know you so well. No, you, I. But I did a Lifetime movie, and there's like sure. we and shot it in like August, and it was coming out in December or something. Like that's that. I mean, maybe. And there's no nothing you can do about it. Are there VFX shots to? Yeah, to be there's a ton of stuff? VFX. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I stand by the the fact that you'll probably still. Yeah, I mean, six yeah. months, but I'm sure I can work on other things like for right. a lot of those six months. Right. And so your question is like, oh, like you think the movie's going to be f- just genuinely in the hypothetical. Let's say you're offered a short-term f- project that could be a feature, that could be uh, a digital series, that could be, you know, a couple episodes of a TV show, right? Yeah. But what you're saying is, is that like there's the anxiety that it's not a perfect fit. Right. Well, yeah, there's one thing where it's like, you know, if you know you're directing a movie that is supposed to kind of be super pulpy and like mm-hmm. kind of like a B movie, like a Roger Corman style movie, sure, sure. then you can kind of lean into that. And yeah, it's like make it your own. You know, if it's an action movie, it's just like a lot of shooting guns and yeah, and you don't necessarily you know, have to put your and... name on it. But if there's a movie where it's like it has potential to be. A little better not not quite john wick but mm-hmm. you know the transporter sure like which is, i think is like a, a not the transporter what's the one where he like his heart is like oh you're thinking of crank yeah crank all, all, all three of which i think were kind of surprise hits for everybody right like john wick doesn't have any 
business being good. It's just about a guy who kills bad guys. Right. Made by some of the best like stunt people in Hollywood. Sure, 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 definitely. But like there are a lot of great stunt people making directing movies and yeah. they're not that John crappy Wick. movie Deadpool. Sure. Just kidding. But there's a lot of B movies like that, right? And certainly like getting Keanu Reeves to do your movie is like a pretty big opportunity, but you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of very skilled craftspeople making movies that really lean into their core competency that don't rise above the noise, basically. Right. Um, yeah. So I think this movie could be with like a, a some work on the script and stuff and there's a really excellent cast. I think it could be mm-hmm. pretty fun. It's still like a creature featured, still a monster mm-hmm. movie, but it, there's a difference between Jaws and Sharknado, right? Sure. There's a difference between Tara Reed as your lead right. and, um, right. And Richard Dreyfus. So, uh, obviously I would want to make the Richard Dreyfus version of Jaws mm-hmm. and not the Sharknado version of Jaws. To be fair, uh, Richard Dreyfus was, I think unknown in that movie. Yeah. You would know better than me. I think I, I think so. That was a breakout role for him, basically, either way, you know. Right. It was a different time. Also, but also, so. so on that same note, the actors that they're talking about getting as the lead are names that you've heard of, but they are not really known for their acting skills. Mm-hmm. They're like maybe better at fighting or stunts or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I think. I think we can relate to like that could be a digital series where they're an influencer. We've seen that plenty of times before, or like, you know, someone's really good at special effects or, you know, there's all sorts of stuff where that can be the situation. So the question is like, basically if you have anxiety about it, not being capital a art or like really like being good for your capital C career. Right. Right. So it's like no one, it's so insanely rare when you get offered a feature. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to, like, you weren't really even looking for it. one. No, though. I know I've known these guys for a while that are putting it together and they've distributed a movie I made. Right. Right. And right. a bunch so of you, other movies. You I've have old on. relationships with them, but it's not like you were like, Hey guys, if you ever have a feature, keep me in mind. They literally were like, Oh, we thought of you for this. Right. Yeah. yeah. After their number one, <laughs> one choice said no. Um, sure. Still, but yeah. yeah, but they, but they have been kind of thinking about me. They've want, been wanting to find a project that I yeah. can work with them on. But it's it's a huge time commitment. I'm mm-hmm. obviously now in a place where I have like sure. wife, kid, mortgage, yeah. all that stuff. It does not pay well. Um, it'll be like you said, a few months of my life, uh, at least one and a half of them out of the continental United States. Oh right, right, travel. Yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah, if it's shooting in LA, it's a totally different story. Like and by LA, I mean like near where, wherever I live. Right. Um, and so, and I, it wouldn't be my first movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not an easy movie to shoot either. There's a lot of crazy things that happen in the ocean. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but it's a movie and it's fun and it's not a commercial and it's like, you yeah. get to go to another you know, locale and spend weeks there and just kind of dig into something. And there's something very fun about that. Even when I did my lifetime movie, it was, you know, like a four, 17 day shoot or something. Uh, but it's still like 
you know, it's fun. You're making it's, a movie. It's super fun. Yeah, it's super fun. Having just wrapped this series that lasted for kind of a while, I was reminded of like how nice it is to carry a crew with you and like be in the trenches with people for a while. Like you bond in a way that's different than commercials, even if you're working consistently with the same crew over and over again on those commercial gigs. It's different, you know? It's nice to be with people for a extended period of time so yeah it does sound fun you know i think um i think if the movie or show or whatever it is you're thinking about making if you're presented with something where you're like not it's not coming together perfectly i think you just have to ask yourself like can you make this special because the thing that separate from it's going to be fun and you're going to make some money and in this case maybe not as much money as you could be making otherwise, but for your time commitments much longer. I keep thinking about how I don't, I think that you only get asked to make the things you've made, right? That's a thing that we've learned a lot over and over again on this podcast and just in our own careers, unless the thing you make is so special that it breaks through. So if you don't think that's possible, if you're saying, hey, this is a movie that is what it is, but it's not going to be something that really I can show other people and they can be impressed by it in some way, that's a that's a harder decision to make than... Right. Well, I know, think the passing. way that this movie could be good is if you do get artsy in a way, mm-hmm. you know, in the way that Pi is like this really excellent movie. But if you like think about the story, it's like a little pulpy, you know, like... Yeah. But the filmmaking is just like kind of excellent bonkers yeah but i think if you approached it that way it would go against the desires of the main investors mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. are really have a formula of how their movies work how they sell them and how they make their money back right and how they make a profit and uh if you can't cut a trailer that matches that model out of your movie then yeah what's yeah. interesting is part of their model is theatrical like a 50 to 200 screen theatrical release huh that's why they care so much about the lead talent because they want it to be a name that will get fans of theirs into the theater. Wow. This yeah. is such a unique model. You know, I've I've been kind of asking around and thinking about things and I wonder if maybe features are going to have a big like m- the low and mid budget features are are going to have a comeback. It's I I've told them that if we can get the script to a place that's good yeah then I'm very excited to do it. And they, they're all game for it, but they want the script to be good too. But what they, they do want that. It's funny because they're like, well, you're not going to like make there be less deaths. Right. (laughs) I was like, no, no, I have zero issues with the deaths. I I think that part all works out. Just like, I think some, just some cooler deaths. No, no, the deaths are pretty cool. If these guys know anything, it's cool deaths. Good. Um, I think the, just the, the relationships can be a little um, stronger. Hmm. Well, anyway, um, so you tell me what's going on with you. Well, I've just uh, wrapped that first series and I'm rolling straight into my second one. So my head is in the game there. And I've just been really fighting hard to uh, create time to write the show that I've been working on for kind of a while. Um we are setting meetings on things are locking in there. So, you know, just kind of uh, regular day in the life sort of stuff for me. So, you know, nothing, nothing crazy to report here, but you know, 
worth it to remind people like, you know, still moving along, creating things, making it happen. Right. I'll let you know when there's some stuff I can talk about basically. Uh, but a listener of ours, Corey wrote in after we had, uh, the browsing effects director, Michael K writer, director, Michael K. Feinstein on. Feinstein on. So Corey sent us an email and said, I just want to send an email to comment on something on last week's episode. Uh, Matt brought up and thanked the guest for mentioning their privilege and knowing people with money while starting their filmmaking career. And I'm happy Matt elaborated on that. And then Corey kind of goes on to say kind of some of the hardships of raising money and like getting $200,000 is pretty much impossible. And he's made eight short films, two music videos, a feature documentary, all kind of no budget. Uh, and he's says, he says, I'm in my late twenties and it's still hard to gather a large group of friends to donate two to three weeks of time or more. And the biggest barrier for me to make my movie is money. You know, most of the people that I would bring on are other artists and they can't afford to work for free for that long. You know, he kind of just wanted to acknowledge the fact that yeah, even though a lot of people come and say they right. kind of came from nowhere and had nothing that that is yeah. not often true. And Michael, I think, did a really good job of acknowledging that he ha was born into really uh, fortunate circumstances uh, and that also you have to take that ball and run with it. And um, we kind of had talked off Mike about that. And he'd mentioned he used the word privilege himself when kind of describing him, his circumstances. And I latched on and I was like, can we talk about this a little bit more? Um, and it, so it was really wonderful to get that email back from Corey because it's a thing that I'm very aware of and tuned into. I don't want to say passionate about, um, but I think going to USC and seeing there were a lot of kids who, you know, come came from Hollywood families or like had a ton of money and especially back then, but always having money makes gives you a leg up in entertainment right the kids who had film um to shoot on their movies looked better than shooting on video that was right the the brutal truth of it right if you could afford to shoot on film expose it develop it transfer it to a digital intermediary a di um that your movies looked better basically and so immediately i was like oh what is going on right and I come from like an upper middle class suburban background. Look, I went to USC. I took out a ton of loans to do it, but like being able to go there in the first place is a certain level of privilege that I don't want to not acknowledge. But I guess what I'm saying is that it helped me tune into like, oh, seeing that everyone's born with different circumstances and there are some distinct advantages to being born with money. No duh, right? Um, but I think that as we talked about with Michael, not it, sometimes it is a challenge because I think that filmmakers who do come from really great privilege feel shy about talking about it because that makes them feel like they're that they didn't earn it in some way, which is totally absurd. Like having a kajillion dollars doesn't make making movies any easier even if it does make it more feasible sometimes yeah right? i mean making good movies it doesn't make it easier sure that's right you're right pardon me yeah um that's a pretty big caveat like you can have all the money in the world and make a terrible movie and frankly even be talented so like it's just a monumental thing that we're talking about no matter what um 
and so yeah kind of getting rich filmmakers to talk to acknowledge that the rich is kind of a thing that's very tricky right because there's so much around wealthy people not wanting to admit that they're wealthy and then also the shame of not having that money it's a really complicated stuff so i just was really happy to to hear that Corey clicked with that and you know comes from the other side of the the table right where just going and grabbing a camera isn't always even an option right like there's a little bit of like just shooting it means that you do have to have some something to shoot some with resource right right um and so I think acknowledging that and making sure that that's apparent for people as well, I think is important, but I think it is incumbent on all artists and all filmmakers to take whatever circumstances they have and figure out a way to make meaningful art with what you have basically. Yeah. I think, do you remember when we talked to Alric from making movies is hard the first time he asked a question or he brought up the topic of like, what what's the litmus test of if a movie should be made mm-hmm. right i don't remember that no but and i always thought that was like a fascinating thing and i think that making films is mm-hmm. really expensive it's like the most expensive kind of art art form that i sure. know of unless maybe you're like you're an architect yeah, yeah. an architect yeah. for skyscrapers or something uh exceptionally expensive but uh it, i I don't know that like just because you want to make a film, you should instantly right out the gate, be able to make a film. Uh, Sure. Yes. If you're wealthy, if your dad gives you a million dollars and you know, says do whatever you want with it and you want to make a film and you make a million or even a hundred thousand dollars, even $50,000, you're super lucky and you get to learn how to make films by making a $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollar feature film. But if you don't have that and you are, you know, working a side job and doing Mm -hmm. things, um, then your way in to having a career in filmmaking is not going to be learning how to make films by making a feature. It's going to be writing a script. It's going to be helping a friend with their short and then maybe helping them direct it a little bit or helping them edit it. Um, it, It's like, I guess... This is just something that's just kind of coming to me right now. So I don't even know if it makes sense, but we talk about this idea of gatekeepers, right? And mm-hmm. it usually kind of depicted as these like evil Hollywood people that like won't read your script unless it's handed to them by Jennifer Aniston sure. or something. But the reality is like the gatekeepers aren't just those Hollywood people. They're also maybe, you know, your friend's uncle who is a wealthy dentist or something. And there's no way that she's going to, invest in your film unless you can prove to her that it's a good investment and the way to prove to her that it's a good investment since you've never made a film before is is to have a film that you've made well it could be that you won the the screenwriting competition that like you know some other famous uh, filmmaker has won and you can show that or that uh you've managed to make a short film i I don't know it's like on one hand, of course, there's this privilege thing, and I have just you know more privilege probably than the average person myself. Uh, even though I've like never kickstarted anything, and all the stuff I made myself, I pretty much I think paid for myself um, from work stuff. 
non-film related work stuff. But, uh, but I think if you don't have that connection, it doesn't mean that you can't get into the business. It just means you don't get to get into the business by making an indie feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, the thing I am always thinking about is what does a micro, what does a great micro budget movie look like? And I think that to me, oftentimes we fall into the mistake or the trap of trying to make your micro budget movie look like a Hollywood movie. Right. How many times have we heard? Like we made $10,000 look like a million. Right. Um, and I wonder if maybe it's more interesting if it looks like 10 or rather what I'm really trying to say is that, um, the people who win this race are going to be the people who think outside the box and outmaneuver money and those opportunities. Right. And sometimes that's working your way up from the inside. And sometimes that's, you know, getting a camcorder from a thrift store and figuring it out or, you know, doing hand animation or there, there are so many creative ways to, to approach filmmaking. And I just want to encourage people that, you know, obviously it takes a certain level of resources in order to be able to make something. But I think that between grants and public spaces and the way that technology is so much cheaper than it used to be, it's never been easier to make a movie and I think the more creative and the more outside the box you think on that stuff, the more, the more of a leg up you have on rich kids who can just buy a bunch of film. Yeah. And it also takes like a ton of passion and perseverance. Maybe one person there have like a trust fund and they can just be making films all day and somebody else has to like support their family and go work three different jobs and they have a way smaller amount of time in their life to work on their script or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, the, they, they the just need more perseverance and more passion than the other person. And that's kind of the point of this show, right? Like the reason it's called just shoot it. The reason the show is free is because we're trying to explicitly tell people anyone can be a director and I, that we believe in you basically. Yeah. But it's that combined with the don't wait for someone. Sure. Don't yeah. wait for the dentist to give you the money or for the person to call you and offer you the feature or for your TV show that's been going around seven different networks to sell. Yeah. Um, just go and make it. What are you saying, Warren? Just I'm make it. Um, <laughs> can I, I'm going to just tell you one story about our, I believe our very first guest on the podcast, Avi. He, he had a, he has a friend named Seth and they, would shoot sketches, just the two of them. It would literally be me and the two of them. I would do sound and I mm -hmm. shot it and I edited it. Uh, and there was another guy, Greg, that also did it for them. We shot it on like 70s or, you know, just some camera that you could probably rent for like $50 for a day. Right. Um, you know, we edited on our, you know, laptops or whatever. Um, you, so there, you have some things that you need, but you could probably go to the YouTube space or something and find a place mm -hmm. to edit for close to free or like libraries that oftentimes have like maker spaces and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we made sketches and put them on YouTube and made sketches and some of them did pretty well and got 10,000 views, 15,000, whatever, like good, not viral, but good and started showing to people and people thought they were cool and nothing really came of it. 
And then they made one short. They had met someone who owned a pet store and would allow them to film in it for two hours for free. And so they wrote a scene between the two of them. The scene is pretty much Seth and Avi uh, go to ask the girl that works at the dog store. Uh, you know, Avi wants to ask her out on a date. But when she gets there, she just assumes that they're a gay couple because they do everything together. And she agrees to go on a date with both of them. And that that's pretty much the whole sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really funny. And the acting was really good. And the writing was good. And it was shot nicely, even though for no money. I don't even know if they had like one light. Um, and based off that and the reaction they got, people like really loved it. They wrote like a few more scenes about the actual date. And then, mm-hmm. and then they ended up turning that into their pilot. And then it, they sold it to stars, you know, and then they got like a deal off of it. But they they really started with like very, very mm-hmm. little money, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think by the end of everything between the two of them and the director, they had maybe spent like $8,000, which I know is still a lot of money, even between three people. But um, they could have probably done it for less and they could have probably raised money off of the things that they were already mm-hmm. making. So it's not impossible but it's not easy yeah yeah Uh, definitely but yeah go out there and make it yeah is what we're saying yeah and don't be discouraged when you hear the success stories of other people who have different circumstances than you yeah and for the record like matt and i especially me we're like discouraged every single day we see people you know that just graduated college last year and they you know came to us for advice and now they have a show on Netflix or now they're doing like DGA directing program or something. And we're like, what, what happened to us? You know, like, so we get just as discouraged, but it's like, that's like the, that's the downfall of like creativity is like looking at other people and seeing what they had and what they accomplished. Yeah. It's the downfall of comparing yourself basically. Right. You kind of can only look at what you're doing and asking yourself, like, are you doing as much as you can for your own art? Yeah. And when you say downfall, you're saying that's the problem with comparing yourself. I meant Mm -hmm. like that it would ruin your creativity if all you do is compare yourself to other people. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I used it in in a different way. Um, Anyway, so yeah. So So Corey, Corey, go make stuff. Um, And it sounds like you've already been killing it. So awesome. Well done. Keep us updated on how things go. Um, To quote Rushmore put the rich ones in the crosshairs and take them out. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> Very, uh, uh, and, um, yeah, man, let us know how it goes. And thanks for writing. Well, cool. It's nice catching up a little bit. Yeah, buddy. It's weird because these, these episodes are delayed. So what's going on on our catch ups is like kind of out of sync with like the world. Right. That's true. Talking about game of Thrones really put it into perspective <laughs> uh but it's fun to do these every once in a while and i'd love to hear from our listeners if you are into hearing more about us or not i know we've asked in the past and i don't know i just feel like we haven't done this for a while so it's just worth you know yeah. i think the demographic of our listenership has changed over the last six months yeah so i'm curious to see what people think yeah well orange shall we have into unpaid endorsements yeah let's do it unpaid endorsements all right so my unpaid endorsement is a filmmaker that I discovered when I was in Prague. His name is Carl Zeman. He's kind of an old-fashioned guy, kind of like a contemporary to like, he's he's like the Czech Disney, the Czech Walt Disney, but like much more 
abstract and kind of out there, but he was like a animator and a special effects artist in like the 50, like 40s, 50s, 60s, basically. Or he's comparable to maybe to like, uh, like a Ray Harryhausen, like stop motion, like matte paintings, like com- like in-camera compositing, like trick mirror shots sort of guy. Um, and he's really fascinating. There was a whole museum dedicated to him. And he started out kind of like doing like these crazy like animations where there was like uh, glass figurines, like ice skating and things like that. Like he was really fascinated with form and motion and light. And that moved into sort of illustration and like a great like educational film that was a huge hit of like kids like traveling back in time and seeing a brontosaurus and stuff that was like supposed to be sort of a um, hallmark for like, uh, you know, like Jurassic Park was partially inspired by it and things like that. Um, And then in his later years, he moved into this sort of like 2D, 3D sort of space where he uh, was really inspired by like uh, Jules Verne and would do all of these kind of like theater flats that were shaded do you remember the Tonight Tonight video by the Smashing Pumpkins? Did you ever see that video? Um, I don't think so. It's like one of the best of all time. But basically they, they were ripping him off. Um, but basically where they would do kind of 2D theater flats, but in 3D space that would sort of be stacked and things. And so like, but then mixed in with matte paintings and all this crazy stuff. And he did a, a film called uh, The Adventures of Baron... Uh, Munchausen, which mm-hmm. uh, I've seen that. Yeah. Have you seen the original? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to watch it all the time. It's incredible, right? Yeah, like so weird. Genuinely, super funny. Really, I literally, like my stepdad, I think, would tell me the stories of Baron Munchausen, like when I was a kid, and then the movie came out, and it was like mind. You're like, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, not the Terry Gilliam one, the Carl Zeman one. So Terry oh. Terry Gilliam did a did a remake, and like if you look at all of the early Monty Python animation styles, it's all a direct crib of this director. Like, it's crazy how much Terry Gilliam rips this dude off. Really? And like, as soon as you, you, I mean, a museum dedicated to a single filmmaker, you're like, oh, this is all so awesome. Of course, like, that's an idea I want to use. That's an idea. That's technique's so great. Um, and so, you know, I bought like a bunch of Blu-rays and stuff that I haven't actually put in my, my PlayStation because I think they're like a different region and I haven't thought yeah. about regionalized blu-ray players in a long time so we'll see but yeah so carl zeman um we'll have links to some of his pieces on the show notes that's cool yeah it's a real good one did you know that terry gilliam finally finished his don quixote movie i did see that yeah with adam driver right yeah yeah and we talked about lost in la mancha right i think i think we have so good best documentary on film shoot gone wrong um well, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you a question sure. for my endorsement, because maybe your answer will be the endorsement. Uh, I've been trying to show my daughter like Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella mm-hmm. and Snow White. I cannot find them on any streaming service. Well, you know why, right? Well, I thought that that, that the answer might be a reason that di- something Disney does. Sure. Dis- well, there's, of course... There was the Disney Vault, which was like a thing that Walt invented, basically, where he was like, hey, I'm spending hella money on these movies. There's no such thing as home video or anything. I can just put them back in the theater every seven years or whatever it is. Right. So that's how they, Lion that, King would come out again. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, 
I remember seeing Cinder. I, all those movies you mentioned, I saw it in theaters when they were re-released. And then they started doing that with home video, and that was a huge cash cow. Um, but the reason now that you can't watch them anywhere is because Disney Plus is coming. Which is so they've pulled them from everywhere. Service. I think they're, they're, they've been rolling back all of their licenses. Because it's not on iTunes. It's not on Amazon. Like, I can't pay. We would love to pay for it somewhere. That's that Disney vault life. Um, I think I have most of those movies if you'd like to borrow any of them. Oh, on disc? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Opening that player and then hitting play. You've got a handbrake. You, you can rip them. Papa oh. Walt might, won't mind. What year? 2012 <laughs> handbrake? Um, That's true. How do you rip Blu-rays now? I don't even have a way to connect a Blu-ray to my computer. I, I mean, a, I do. I have a Blu-ray drive. You yeah, can I guess also. I have one too. Burner. <laughs> um, it's my burner drive, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I think it's probably because the Disney Plus streaming service is set to launch relatively soon. Right. And I, I think they want to just blow everybody out of the water, so... Having a library of movies that have been embedded in the zeitgeist for our entire lives is probably pretty smart. Right. Cool. Well, um, there's also this music video I'm kind of watching a lot today because I put some parts of it in a treatment. It's um, from this artist named Sigrid, and the song is called Sucker Punch. Hmm. And it's kind of like a low-budget music video, but it's just... This girl, she like literally has her iPod headphones in because I'm pretty sure she's listening to the song for mm-hmm. her to lip sync to it. And she's just doing this really funky, cool dance like in all these different places and these different lighting conditions. Mm-hmm. And the dance is like perfectly choreographed with the camera. So when mm-hmm. they cut from one location to the next, she's in the same position. So she'll like fall down mm-hmm. on a track or to college or something. And then she'll like end up like she hits the ground and she's like on a white psych. Right. But none of the locations are expensive. I mean, there's one that's like in the middle of the night. And, there's and like they're fireworks. clearly just like going somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't think they're permitted. It's got 9 million views. And I'm pretty sure Sigrid is. Sigrid has 481,000 subscribers. So it's not like right. a, a new discovery. But Sig- Sigrid, Sucker Punch. I really like the song too. I don't know. I've just kind of been watching a lot lately. I think there's an Aquafina video like that. But not with like the attention to detail or anything. I think there's just like. What if I rapped in weird places with my headphones in? Right. Which yeah. I guess is probably a subgenre of music videos. I just don't know the name of. Yeah. And obviously choreography and matched choreography in different places, like a music video trope or like even like sure. a tool or something. But yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just, I really like the song. So check it out. I think there's that era of like low budget music videos now where it, what makes them great is just kind of nailing the execution of it. Right. The ideas don't have to be that new and they don't have to be that expensive. But if you just really kind of finesse match cuts in in a unique location with good choreography, that that's enough. Well, I think what you need, and you probably know this more than me, is you just really need committed performers. Mm-hmm. Right. You need the band to be on board. And I think back in the day when music videos were big and people were making a lot of them, like the band would show up six hours late and they'd be drunk and whatever. Yeah. Um and so now you see like a Haim music video or like Taylor Swift or something like Beyonce. They're like directing their own videos. They are so invested yeah. in making every frame perfect and making their performance real. And that that's why there's these great music videos. And it's not really about the budget. It to me is much. It's exactly what you're saying. It's like the kind of just nailing the just performance. It. Yeah. Um, and you know, a good catchy song doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. 
Um, well, cool, Matt. Well, thanks for um, coming over and chatting face to face. If you listeners have any feedback, please email us. Just shoot it pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from your questions, your answers, your comments. Uh, you can find us on all social media at just shoot it pod. Check out our social medias for like live event info that's coming up. And um, yeah, if you want to find out more about me, I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt, edited by Jay McCullough. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and provided by the Free Music Archive. Leave us an iTunes review. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.